and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine, and we're here today with uh, Randy Gage. How are you doing, Randy? Hey, J.W. Great to be on with you. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, great to have you. Um, I've wanted to do a interview with you for, for quite a long time, and so I want to acknowledge Sean Duperin of the uh, Forgive Project, um, or Project Forgive, for bringing us together. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, and, Sean's um, a wonderful, wonderful lady and a great project. Yeah, the uh, the Project Forgive was going uh, used Kickstarter to try to make their first hundred thousand to greenlight their documentary on forgiveness, and uh, looks like they hit their mark. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah, I noticed one of your blogs. I you know uh, I love your blog and I read it all the time, and and I noticed that you you stopped the presses for a minute to put out a great blog for her. Yeah, and I just, uh, I, you know, I put the, we were at about, uh, I think, 87% of where she wanted to get to. So uh, I basically told all my readers, I'm locking down the blog. Until we get to that 100000 so that project gets funded, I'm not putting up the next post, you know, and because uh, I wanted to really rally people behind it. And they did. People just from all over the world, they got behind that, and they funded it, and uh, I, I'm really excited to see what happens with that project, what uh, Sean and Teresa come up with, because I think it'll really help a lot of people around the world. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's what brought us together today um, and what I wanted to touch on. Um, one of, the, your, one of the, my favorite books of yours is Why You're Dumb, Sick, and Broke and How to Get Smart, Healthy, and Rich, and you have one of the laws in there of the seven laws that you talk about is forgiveness, and I wanted to get into it. But for right now, for anybody who doesn't know Randy Gage, and I don't think that's too many people, if, if you're on the web or uh, if, if, you, if you haven't just crawled out of a rock, you, you've got to know something about Randy probably. But Randy is often called the millionaire messiah. He makes no bones about prosperity and believes that being poor is a sin. He is often brash and controversial, uh, politically incorrect, and he often takes on many things that we, we're taught and uh, we lear- we've learned and believe and, and turns them on their heads. Um, Randy is not afraid to take on organized religion or po- political policy. He's not known for delivering the warm and fuzzies, more apt to give you, uh, give you the story straight. Uh, so what does Randy know, and why is he someone you might, might want to listen to? Um, well, Randy has achieved prosperity and success for himself and has helped thousands of others to do the same several times in his life. Uh, he's the author of seven books. I think it's seven, is it, Randy? Up to eight now. <laughs> Up to eight now. Yeah. Uh, mainly on prosperity and abundance. Uh, he's the writer of one of the most popular blogs in the, in the world, I think. I, I, I could say the nation, but I think it's the world. And he's the producer of and the star of Prosperity TV, um, where Randy shares with us um, how it's done and the proven philosophy, keys, and universal laws that he uses and teaches to manifest and create prosperity and success. So we're really excited to have you here today, Randy. Well, thanks. That's a wonderful introduction. Great to be chatting with everybody. Okay, so let's talk about your your book first. Um, This particular book, Why You're Dumb, Sick, and Broken, How to Get... Uh, smart, healthy, and rich. 
first of all, the title uh, in and of itself makes you want to pick it up off the shelf just to figure out what the heck it is, right? Well, <laughs> that's the I, that's the hope. Now, some people <laughs> they see that title and they want to stick uh, pins in the voodoo doll of me, you know, because <laughs> you know. But obviously, I was trying to get people's attention and and let them and and just let them know that this was not some you know feel good oh sit home and watch the secret 27 times and all your lamborghini's going to pull itself into the driveway i don't write those kind of books i write the truth as i know it meaning hey i was dumb sick and broke and i became smart healthy and rich so how did i do that and that what were the lessons i learned what were the mistakes i made what were the what was the practical application steps that i took so that's really what the book is about straight talk on how you become successful right and um in the book i it, it starts out kind of ominous because you you start out the book um with the story of how you got shot by a uh, by a, a crack addict who wanted to just you know take some money. And what's scary about it is, uh, you know, we all hopefully not many of us have been in that situation. But uh, while reading it, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is all our worst nightmare of how you tried to talk the guy out of, <laughs> you know, how you tried to calm down the situation, talk the guy out of going too far, and you end up getting shot anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to be rational and logical with him, not really thinking that people who are hopped up on crack <laughs> are not very rational and logical. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating, you know, if you tie it in with the events of today, you have the Trayvon Martin case and the, mm -hmm. the Stand Your Ground law, which, of course, is a big debate here in Florida and really all over the world right now, and especially the U.S. right now, I should say, um, and I got to say that you know the the problem in that case was not the stand your ground law, uh, and I'm speaking as somebody who had a guy holding a gun to my forehead, and then was holding that gun to my abdomen and then pulled the trigger. Uh, you have milliseconds to make these kind of decisions, you know. And I took a very you know I've trained in the martial arts. I, I'm good at defending myself. I made a, a decision, a peaceful decision, which was, hey, I'm just, I'm sure if I, you know, give this guy the money and talk to him, calm him down, get him rational, let him go on, take the money, go to the crack house, you know, he'll move on. And mm -hmm. he thought, well, you know what, if I kill this guy, there's, then he can't call the police on me. And so... I'm not going to, you know, the so uh, that stand your ground law, I think that's a valid law. I don't think it applied right in this case, and that's why you see Mr. Zimmerman's been charged. Because, right. you know, obviously when you follow someone and the dispatcher at 911 tells you stop following, I mean, we don't know, we weren't there, but, you know, if I'm a 17-year-old kid and some guy driving behind me and following me in a truck and then he gets out and he comes following me around and he's got a gun well wh who wouldn't be scared and defend you know think they might be under attack so the problem isn't the stand your ground law the problem is how it got handled in this particular situation and of course we'll the courts will sort that out and we'll see how it really you know what was at fault here right yeah it's uh, it's been <laughs> it's it's really kind of you know in the divisive society we're in now with the right and the left and everything else, and also with uh, you know the the black white situation 
um, you know, it it's really kind of brought up a, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, especially ra- racism and and those kind of things. And, uh, and it's so really divisive. Get, get it, it is. It really is getting divisive. And and I'm a political junkie. I love politics in it. But I got to say, I mean, it's just. You look at the election that's coming up in November, and it's going to be a class warfare election. And there's no doubt in my mind that David Axelrod is going to frame the election as the populist reformer against the $250 million blue blood, uh, you know, uh, rich guy. And, um, you know, the 99% versus the 1%. And even, you know, the Tea Party, I thought, was very, and I still think, has a lot of racist overtones. Um and you know it so there's that race warfare there's a class warfare going on there's a lot of really divisive stuff that is not prosperity consciousness it's not going to take us to where we want to go it's it's taking us in the other direction no doubt about that yeah and it, that's tough for this kind of time especially because we're in one of the worst uh, economic times we've been in in quite a while so for both sides to sit so far on the right and left it's not exactly where we need to be to fix this problem. Yeah, there, there's nobody's working on fixing the problem between now and November. They're looking on how do I gain uh, advantage in the the vote count. Uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see. M- my feeling is that uh, both candidates are are pretty moderate, and uh, uh, so I don't know who's the clear winner here when it really comes down to it. Yeah, there. Uh, it'll it'll be a fascinating election. I mean, I you know personally, I think the president has already won re-election. Uh, I mean, because you know, remember, it's all about the electoral college, and you have 50 states, but uh, 32 of them have already voted. Okay, I mean, we know California is going to vote Democratic. We know Texas is going to vote Republican. We know New York is going to vote Democratic. I mean, there's 32 states that they're not going to change. You've got red states and blue states, and the real election is done in those 12 battleground states, Ohio, yep. Florida, uh, you know, Colorado, Wisconsin, Michigan. And right now, I mean, uh, if the election were held today, it would be a thumping. Barack Obama, President Obama, would beat Romney handily in the electoral vote, because if it was held today, he would even win Florida. And there's really there's one 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 path for Romney to win, and that includes Florida. There's there's three paths for the president to win. One includes Florida. There's two other paths that don't include Florida. And right now, I mean that those swing states, and they're going to be decided by independents, and the, and it's going to be decided by women and Latinos. And right now, the president is crushing Obama uh, Romney in women and Latinos, and. So if the election were held today, I mean, it wouldn't even be close. It would be like a Bob Dole kind of election. Right. So uh, it would be fascinating to see how it plays out, how, uh, uh, you know, how they get the dialogue to. And that's how, you know, I put that fault on Romney, you know, because he's he hasn't done what we want our president to do, which is to paint this vision, you know, the raise, raise our eyes above the horizon, as Alex Castellanos likes to say. You know, paint a picture of where we can go, how great we can be, what we can do. And, you know, he got in a very bitter primary campaign, and he was very good at tearing down his opponents, and that's got him the nomination. But 
to get the presidency, you got to paint a vision of what you're going to do and where we're going to go, and that's prosperity consciousness, and that's what his campaign, Romney's campaign, has not been able to do very well, and what the Obama campaign did very well in 2008. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Obama has been instrumental in using social media. Um, you can tell by the amount of followers that uh, Obama has compared to the amount of followers that uh, uh, Mitt Romney has. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a huge difference. Yeah, and it goes all the way, way past Twitter. I mean, just a whole Internet marketing, uh, email, uh, and social media. The, uh, the Obama campaign has run it brilliantly, and the Romney campaign has, hasn't really got a clue how to, how to harness that. Yeah, and they're, they're starting a little late even if they, they got the clue. Yeah. Let's, let's go on to prosperity thinking. Let's move on to you know, what we're talking about with the book and, and some of these other things we wanted to talk about. Um, in the book, um, one of the things you talk about are the seven laws of prosperity. I think you actually wrote another book on those laws. I don't know if they were different in that book because I did not read the, that book. No, same laws, yeah. Same laws. And just to go down the list, the vacuum law, the circulation law, imaging law, law of ideas, law of reciprocity, law of tithing, and law of forgiveness. And I wanted to kind of, since uh, since we're talking about the, the forgiveness project, and uh, it's a big thing in my life is learning forgiveness, um, I wanted to kind of focus on that one. But it brings into play many of the others. Yeah, because the forgiveness law also takes into account, let's say, the vacuum law of prosperity. And the vacuum law is based on this premise that the universe abhors a vacuum. So if you create a vacuum, it's going to get filled. And, of course, because the universe is inherently good, if you create a vacuum, it'll be filled with good. Just like, you know, if you walk in the sand on the beach, the waves are going to fill in your footprints, or you're walking in the snow, the wind is going to fill them in. Nature will always fill a vacuum. And so we say when someone wants more prosperity in their life, you need to create a vacuum. So you want more clothes? Well, great. Clean out your closet and give some old clothes to the shelter. You want some new shoes? You know, give some shoes to the, the mission. The uh, uh, You want more harmony in your life. Clean out your house. Get rid of all the junk, the junk drawer, the medicine cabinet, the, your desk. Your, you know, put yourself in a harmonious environment, and then you're going to attract harmony, right? So the forgiveness is the same thing. If you're holding vengeance in your heart, there's no room for love. There's no space. Right, and the, the forgiveness thing at least the, the part that you wrote a, about in the book, kind of came from uh, you getting shot. Uh, at least that's one of the, the stories that you used to explain it. Because uh, after being shot, you, you were sick for quite a long time, right? Yeah, they, they actually told me they took the bullet out, and they didn't. They went in, they rooted around. While he was there, he took out my, uh, my uh, appendix, which was on the other side from where I got shot. And, I, and he told me all this in the wait, you know, in the recovery room afterward. He said, oh, yeah, we took out your appendix. I said, wait, wait, wait. It's, I got shot on the left. Isn't the appendix on the right? And he's like, yeah, that's just standard procedure. You know, we, whenever we open somebody up, we just take out the appendix because you don't need it anyway. And, you know, you might get appendicitis later. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, time out. You're telling me you were cut in my body, and then you took out an organ 
without without asking me. <laughs> I mean, I was apoplectic. And then, of course, it didn't heal well, and, you know, then it got infected, and I kept having to go back to the hospital. And I was sick for two years. And finally, after two years, when I was going to, a like, a GI guy, and, you know, you do the thing, you drink that pink Pepto-Bismol stuff, and they take the the X-ray or whatever it is. Right. And that's when I found out the bullet was still inside me. And I think for all those some, two years, it was... Right? Pardon me? They did X-rays and... Yeah. And then, because uh, it was the the nurse when she saw me, she saw the surgery in the front. She said, "What's that?" I said, "Oh, I had been shot." And she, okay. And so then she comes back in with the X-rays, and she says, "Oh, I see the bullet still inside you. Is that because it's next to your spine?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so yeah, I definitely had an opportunity for forgiveness there. <laughs> yeah, you definitely. Well, you know, there's nobody who would fault you for being upset. That nobody would fault you for, you know, being very angry and suing and, and, and just getting very, just being upset about the whole thing. But you took a different tact. And uh, so how'd that help you? Or yeah. How, how First you of all, that? I have to forgive the guy who shot me. And, you know, what a horrific thing to shoot somebody with intent to kill him. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know what? The guy was under the influence of drugs. And you know what? I fought addiction. You know about addiction. Uh, when you're under addiction, you don't operate normally. You know, he was doing the best he could with what he had to work with, the life that he was dealt, and he made a poor choice. And you know what? I have to forgive him. And I did. And then the doctors who operate on me, I mean, the truth is, I would have died that night because I had lost a lot of blood. I had gone into shock. They had to put me in one of those space suits, you know, because my heart was stopping to pump, to to beat. Mm -hmm. So the truth is, they saved my life. And, you know, did they do the operation in the way I would have liked? No. Did they take out my appendix, which I would have rather they didn't do? Yes. But you know what? At the end of the day... I'm alive because of them, and I have to celebrate that, and I forgave them and moved on. And because that's what, you know, that's where the freedom is when you, when you give people forgiveness. Right. And, you know, and one of the things you mentioned there that really um, stuck with me because it's what I found out from doing, going through the forgiveness process, and that is that we are told or we believe oftentimes it's about forgiving the other person, which can be really hard um, to do, whether it be our parents or people that have wronged us in many ways. Um, it's, but, so we say, okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. I put it out there. I forgive you. But you don't necessarily feel it all the time. And one of the things that you said, it was the last uh, phrase of the, the forgiveness thing, was you have to learn how to forgive yourself. And that was the key for me. So could you explain uh, why you wrote that and, and what that means? Yeah, when I, it's funny, I talk to seminar audiences all over the world, two million people so far, and whenever I, I, I always ask the question, so who's the hardest person to forgive? And of course, I know what they're going to say, and they all say the same thing, myself. Right. Uh, and, and there's some great insight on this. Dan Millman wrote a book called Everyday Enlightenment. And uh, mm -hmm. in there, he talks about the the two prime directives of being a human that we learn at a really early age, which is when you're good, you get rewarded, and when you're bad, you get punished. And that's like hardwired into our brain since we're, you know, one year old probably. 
mm-hmm. and then we grow up, and the truth is we all do things we wish we wouldn't have done. Everybody. Pick the most saintly person you know. Pick Mother Teresa, okay? Pick Gandhi. Pick whoever. I'm telling you, they all said things, did things they wish they didn't do. They all stole money from their mother's purse when they were 11. They all, you know, said something snarky about their best friend in high school. They, You know what I mean? And and some did horrific things that, you know, like, you know, the drunk driver who killed the lady in Sean video and I mean stuff like that happens but even without those horrific things we all know every bad thought we ever had every lustful thought we ever had every piece of gossip we ever spoke so we're our own worst critics and we have the hardest time forgiving ourselves but we are forgiven and and we do have to forgive ourselves and and just recognize that making these mistakes and learning the lessons from those mistakes, that's just part of that course in how to be a human. And it's just part of the curriculum, and we got to go through the curriculum to get to the higher levels, which is where enlightenment is. Absolutely. And talk about enlightenment. One of the things that you talk about a lot and uh, you try to enlighten people on, um, and that is uh, the law of reciprocity. Yeah, and this is biblical laws of giving and receiving. Uh, Emerson called it the, the the law of compensation. But one of the things I've discovered is you can't outgive the universe. You know, and I've tried. I've tried for many years now. The more good you send out there, the more it comes back to you. And it's called, you know, the biblical thing would be, you know, reaping what you sow. There's lots. It's just one of those universal laws that. Every faith has something that is some way they describe it or label it, but it, we're all talking about the same thing, which is mm-hmm. you can't outgive the universe or you can't outgive God, whatever term you want to use. Uh, that's the reality. Right. And, you, and you, you talk about memes in the book and, you know, how people, the thoughts around money. I know you've worked with Harvecker, the millionaire mind uh, guy, um, and, you know, who talks a lot about the, the, the whole money mindset and how. When we think about, we all want to be in abundance and prosperous, but then we, we, the thoughts in our head about money are all skewed uh, from our upbringing and from the things we learn. And oftentimes, you would say it would be stupid to say something like, "I have to get sick to make somebody better," or "They have, or in order for me to get better, somebody has to get sick." So it would be just as stupid to say that I have to uh, get poor to make somebody rich, or somebody has to get poor in order for me to make money. Right. Yeah, that's the great analogy because it shows that people, you know, the true prosperity, all things which are true prosperity are infinite, infinite. You know, money, hugs, love, that's all infinite. The, uh, you know, somebody said, give me a hug. You say, well, no, I've only got four left and the weekend's coming up. (laughs) You would never say that, right? The more hugs you give away, the more you give back. Uh, and remember, money is, you mentioned memes, which is another word for mind viruses. And that's really what the Dumb, Sick, Broke book is about. It's how we, you actually get infected with mind viruses, which, are, which parasitize the host and cause you to replicate the virus. And so it, just like you get a, a virus on your computer hard drive, you get a virus in your subconscious mind. So, you know, very prevalent ones are money is bad, rich people are evil, it's spiritual to be poor. It's noble to be poor. 
So when you get infected with those, you do you actually sabotage your own success because of these limiting beliefs that you've been infected with. Right. And in the environment we're in day to day, not only did we get it at a young age from our parents, because we, you know, our parents often believe the same way, but uh, you also talk about uh, religion, government, and media, and especially in the book you talk about movies, um, and I would say even songs that we listen to are all give us a lot of negative meme. Oh, I took uh, what I did for a newsletter once is I went, I got the billboard uh, charts for mm-hmm. rock, gospel, jazz, rap, country, all the categories. And then I got, let's look at the top ten songs in every category and get the lyrics to the top ten songs in every category. And then look at them from a prosperity consciousness standpoint. Let's see what the subliminal message of this programming is. Uh-huh. And it was astounding how much. I, say, I mean, great you, songs that you... to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, great songs that you tap your feet and love. And by the way, just so people know... Um, if I asked most people which category has the most destructive messages, most people would have probably picked rap music because they would right. say, well, it's, you know, uh, get the bitches, kill the cops, you know, that's the thing. Right. The worst category was the gospel chart. <laughs> really? Yes, because there were so many um, insidious mind viruses about worthiness issues that are programmed that and that's why i say organized religion is probably the guiltiest party in terms of infecting people with these limiting and lack centered beliefs well i would have guessed randy i would have guessed love songs because they talk so much about worthiness and neediness oh yeah i mean it's just like i mean i was at the opera the other night we had the premiere of romeo and juliet you know Mm -hmm. the ultimate you know one of probably the most romantic opera of all time and a you know perennial favorite has survived the test of a couple hundred years already but it's the typical meme of star-crossed lovers who will never be together i mean the unrequited love is one of those prevalent memes that you can go back to greek greek mythology to operas from 400 years ago to popular culture songs today to love story if you're like me i'm you know i grew up with the book love story with you know uh ally mcgraw and ryan whatever ryan whatever his name was you know yeah. the big movie uh, uh-huh. you know we the this meme of uh spider-man plays off the same meme you know that you know i love you but we can never be together and that daniel day lewis movie where he's i will find you wherever you go i mean it's just one of these timeless mind viruses that you see throughout like i say whether you you can take go from greek mythology thousands of years ago to the pop culture shows that were on abc nbc and fox last night these just keep resurfacing and the more these whether it's a book movie tv show magazine article song on the radio the more it panders to your beliefs the core foundational beliefs you have the more you like it and that's why operas like romeo and juliet are still you know audience favorites hundreds of years later because it panders to our core foundational beliefs yeah, I hear you. Um, when you talk about government, also, I, I know you're not. You don't 
come across as a conspiracy theory guy, but so how do you, how does government do that? Yeah, because it, that's the thing. It's not a conspiracy because if you look at all the the movies and the TV shows, you say, "What what is this a Hollywood conspiracy?" No, it's just the producers, writers, directors. They're infected with the same mind viruses as everyone else. And, and government, in their the case, writing to the public, you know, they're, they're you know, you don't write your stuff just uh, so that doesn't go anywhere. You. Well, you, if you're a screenwriter, you had a favorite movie when you were a kid, and you want to write that movie. Right. If you're a book author like me, you grew up and you had some favorite book, you know, On the Road with Jack Kerouac or, you know, Ernest Hemingway or whatever. So you, you know, so you want to write the great American novel. If, you, if you're a television writer, you want to write a show like your favorite show when you grew up. Mm-hmm. And those shows, the ones you liked, are the ones that pandered to the mind viruses that you have. So you replicate the same thing. I got you. Yeah, and government, you ask government, you know, government needs you to be needy. You know, if you take any democracy, any republic, they're a two-party system. They eventually get to a two-party system, no matter how many they start with. Within a couple of decades, they're at a two-party. You have one party in power, and you have one party out of power. The party in power wants to stay in power, and the party that's out of power wants to get in power. And the way they do that is they is entitlement programs. They promise to give you stuff, whether it's free education, whether it's free prescriptions, whether it's free health care, free something. And they're anti-prosperity because, of course, the only free cheese is in the mousetrap. And, but everybody wants free cheese. Everybody's like, well, okay, yeah, but I want more. You should fund the arts and fund education and build roads and build schools and build hospitals. I just don't want to pay for that. Let's have the rich people pay for that. So build all you want, tax all you want. Just make sure it's not coming out of my wallet. Just make sure that I'm getting more than I'm paying for and then I'm happy. And right. that, of course, is a recipe for bankruptcy as you see in Greece and all around the EU right now, and the same thing happening here in the U.S. with a $15 trillion deficit. Right. Well, let me ask you a specific question about that, not to get too political, but um, would you call yourself more of an Ayn Rand libertarian type, or do you believe that there has to be some social net in the capitalist system? Oh, I'm a, I'm a libertarian. I believe, I, and I, I, I love Ayn Rand and the philosophy of objectivism, but yeah, politically, I think the only prosperity philosophy that makes sense is libertarian because it is grounded on, uh, the right, uh, to, you know, receive the fruits of your labor and it protects private property rights. So yeah, I'm definitely, I think the true prosperity the only political party that would be in accordance with the laws of prosperity is the libertarian party right There's and by the way at the i've got a uh a show coming up on that i have a youtube channel it's just youtube forward slash randy cage we call it prosperity tv and i've got a show coming up on that on this philosophy of that i filmed in amsterdam on you know libertarian philosophy and how it applies to prosperity Right, so do you believe that, because I asked you about the social safety net, um, and then Republicans, you know, the Democrats say, well, we need a social safety net uh, of entitlements for people who can't take care of themselves, like the elder, the old, people who are getting old, and then the uh, other side would say, well, or the libertarian side would say, well, we'd, corporations, business, and, and, and uh, should be able to take care of that. We, we shouldn't have any of that. Where's your stance there? Yeah, my stance is the number one tax 
deduction I have on my return every year is charity. I've given millions of dollars to charity, and I will hopefully so give on tithing. Uh, you know, tithing and charity both. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I'll give many, many millions more in the years ahead. Uh, but I could do that more if I wasn't paying these ridiculous uh, income taxes that are absorbing so much of my money at the point of a gun to fund all these entitlement programs to buy, you know, $400 ashtrays and $10,000 toilet seats and $2 million to study the rate flow of ketchup out of a bottle and all of these ridiculous bridges to nowhere and all of these billions and trillions and trillions of dollars that are wasted in government bureaucracies in in make-work kind of situations. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we're speaking about that, so that we don't leave uh, the listeners uh, stuck in the fact that uh, they might uh, have all these memes and and, and be neurotic, okay, they figured out they have some issues, Uh, could you give them a couple, uh, you know, uh, silver bullets that they might, you know, some takeaways that they might be able to use to, uh, to turn that around? First thing is you have to be a critical thinker. Question everything. Question your pastor or your minister or your rabbi. Question your government. Question what you see on the news. Ask yourself, check the premise. That's what Ayn Rand used to say a lot. Check the premise. So you always want to check the premise. So be a critical thinker. So it would be the first step to become conscious. You know, think about what you think about. Be the thinker of the thought. Most people don't know what they think about. It just happens by the stimuli around them cause them to think about stuff. And that's why they're the victim of all these mind viruses, all the programming, whether it's from TV, radio, Internet, their friends, their family. They're just reacting to the stimulus around them. You have to become the thinker of the thought. And that comes, and then the third thing I would say to further that would be spend daily self-development time and work on yourself. So you choose the thoughts you give precedence to. So you decide you're going to start your day reading Think and Grow Rich or The Magic of Thinking Big or Mm -hmm. As a Man Thinketh or you're watching a Jim Rohn DVD or something. Program, you know, be in charge. Know that you're going to be programmed 24 hours a day, seven days a week anyway. Be the programmer of the radio station. So you choose the positive programming to create the positive empowering beliefs, which then will create the daily actions you take that will take you toward your dreams instead of away from them. Yeah, and this is important, Randy. Um one of the reasons I listen to you and I and um, and we're here today is because years ago when I was um, um, I was broke, <laughs> I was without a job and I got myself there because I got uh, addicted to meth. And I was addicted for about five years, mm-hmm. which sent me spiraling down into a heavy depression uh, where I couldn't leave the house. So I had my landlord knocking on the door, going, "I know you're in there. You haven't paid the rent." Yeah. And all I could do was just sit there in a little ball on the floor and go, oh, life sucks. And um, I've been there. luckily, because of my mom, um, she had left a, uh, she had left a, she had used to use those VHS tapes, you know, that, that, that ancient thing. Uh-huh. Um, and she had, was recording her soap operas on them. And I wanted to record a program, so I popped one in to find out uh, which one I could erase. And I saw that uh, there were 
all these you know soap operas on there. I thought, oh, this is a good one. But I let I got taken away for a second, and it kept running. And at the end, she had that PBS special from Les Brown. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, sure, absolutely. Right, and it was p- him talking about his, uh, you know, his his mom, and you know how he came, you know, how he was diagnosed uh, slightly mentally retarded, and he would never go anywhere, and he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and and he, just an v- incredibly motivating story. Yeah, it's I a classic, that. classic, yeah. classic, classic. Les Brown is classic, and when that happened, I got motivated, and it was just a little bit. But what happened is I pulled out the Augmandinos and the Wayne Dyer books that I had stored somewhere, and I started reading them and playing that tape over and over again, and it got me out the door to go get help. Good and for you. I was, at that point, I realized that this, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, gurus and, and not uh, in, in kind of a negative light. But me, I'm a believer that you've got to find somebody that, that motivates you and you got to do something. You got to listen to them every day. You got to keep your mind straight. You've got to, if you're going to walk the path, you need a plan. And you know, this this is what helped me get my plan. A hey, amen. Good for you. It's a great story. Uh, l- luckily, years later, um, at a Harvecker uh, um, conference, I got to meet Les and tell him my story, and we both uh, hugged and cried cried in each other's arms. It was a great. It was a great. Ending to such a, to a great story. So um, I thank Les. If you're out there, Les, thanks a lot. <laughs> Good. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, let's talk about something else that's really popular nowadays, and that is because um, you, you, I think you touch on it with imaging law, and that is you know the law of uh, attraction. And I could be wrong. Is that what you're talking about here? Yeah, the, I like the movie The Secret. I have a lot of friends in there, you know, Bob Proctor and uh, uh, John Demartini and uh, Joe Vitale and, uh, you know, a lot of good good people. And I, I, I'm happy the movie's out there because it's brought the law of attraction to a much bigger audience. But like I said earlier in the show, you know, there's a that's a very simplistic look at it. So there's a lot of people, you know, saying, well, you know, I watched it 11 times. How come my, you know, dream car hasn't pulled up in the driveway yet? It, it That ain't going to work. You know, as the African proverb says, as you pray, move your feet. Right. You know, in my church we say God gives you the light, but you still have to turn on the light switch. So um, what the, you know, attraction, the law of attraction is based on the idea of programming your subconscious mind. And that's, I believe, in doing that with prosperity maps or dream boards, some people call them. You put images of things you want to do, have, and become, and then every time you walk by them, even when they're in your peripheral vision, they're programming your subconscious mind. And again, when you program your subconscious mind, it'll take actions then to create that or manifest that on the physical realm. Right. But there, and, and a lot of people have uh, um, taken offense to the book because it didn't talk more about the action involved. Yeah, you know, it's a you know it's a pretty simplistic uh, treatment of it. There's no doubt about that. True, but it uh, it it's worked for me. I know it's worked for you. <laughs> um, one of the one of the things uh, that you talk uh, that you talk about is uh, your um, your car. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was I, one of the first things I put on my dream board that I manifested. My first Viper. <laughs> right. 
By the way, did you? Uh, I don't know if you. I just saw a program last night where the, they took the um, SRT10 against the Porsche GTR, GT2 RS. And I'm sorry, but the the Porsche won. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I I'm on my third SRT10, and I can tell you, that's not been my experience from personal racing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's well. That's a demon. That's a monster demon car. I mean, it's a. Uh, uh, it's it's most drivers that I've you know professional drivers that I've talked to that uh, have driven that car and uh, raced that car say it's uh, it's a monster. It is a monster car. Porsches. I mean, I got nothing against Porsches. Uh, you know, if you want to go grocery shopping or something, I'm sure they're wonderful <laughs> for that. But <laughs> when I want to go out and you know be in a supercar, that you know the Viper is the deal. So what are you going to do now that they're not making Viper? Are they, is it coming back? or what's, what's going It on? is back. There's a new oh. edition will be coming out in a few months. Oh, excellent. And it's uh, fierce. I'm guessing you're going, to, you're going to be first in line there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Um, let's talk about you. We, we, we touched on re- um, religion a little bit, um, uh, and you talked about your church. Uh, are, are you science of mind? Uh, what, what, what would you call yourself? What do you follow? Uh, I go to Unity on the Bay in Miami, so it's Unity, mm-hmm. which is a non-denominational Christian church, very similar to Science of Mind. Mm-hmm. So they allow gays, and doesn't none of that matters, or? Oh yeah, there's none of that. We don't buy into that drama. <laughs> none of, there's right. no uh, Unity doesn't have the doctrines and the dogma and the judgment. It's just based on the teachings of Jesus the Christ. The mm-hmm. universal principles that apply for all of us. Pract- we we call it practical application Christianity. You know, how do you make it work in today's world? Great, I love that. Let's. Um, I wanted to touch on something on the back cover of your book. It talks about selfishness. Um, your highest moral prerogative is your own happiness. Uh, you know, selfishness is obviously most people see that as a very negative thing. Uh, tell me about why it's not. Yeah, uh, Ayn Rand, who you mentioned earlier, wrote another book called The Virtue of Selfishness. And uh, mm-hmm. when the reporters asked her, well, why did you choose that title? And she said, for the very reason you're afraid of it. Uh, and she talks about selfishness as a virtue in the sense that where you see people who think they're not, you know, everybody thinks selfish is a horrible word. I mean, the worst insult anybody could ever say is to say you're selfish, right? right. But look at how many codependent people there are, so many enablers there are, so, so many people who take care of everyone around them or try to because they never can because they don't take care of their own needs first. So from a prosperity standpoint, you have to understand that you you know charity does begin at home you have to have your own needs met yeah i i've been able to you know that opera the other night that was romeo and juliet i sponsored that opera okay that was a hundred thousand dollars i gave for them so they could put on that production of romeo and juliet and school kids got to see it for free and tickets were half price because of it and you know thousands of people will see that opera that would have never seen opera and new people will be you know young kids who will be exposed to classical music for the first time and the artists who performed and got paid and the directors and the stage people and the lighting well i was able to help them because i've helped myself because i went out and became prosperous 
And that's the core message I would have for everybody who's listening today is get the money thing out of the way. Get Take care of your own needs. You can't, you know, the, the people who are, uh, you know, sucking all the energy out of your life that you're trying to please and take care of, you can't because you're you're a hollow shell because you're just giving, giving, giving because there's people who just take, take, take. So sometimes you have to recognize, hey, I have to take care of myself first. And when I have gotten taken care of my needs, then I will be able to go out and help lots of other people and do wonderful things. But it starts with me. Right. Well, you know, what do you think about this? I often, uh, when I talk about selfishness, I believe that even Mother Teresa, who you would say is selfless, um, was selfish because she did what she needed to do, even though she got a lot of blowback and, and, and uh, you know, all kinds of negativity from people about, you know, what she was doing. But she was doing what she needed to do, and you couldn't have talked her out of it. So she was selfishly doing what she needed to do to, make, to feel whole in her life and that she accomplished what she needed to accomplish. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons I think uh, the word selfish is uh, definitely not a negative term. Yeah, I think Mother Teresa was very selfish in a wonderful demonstration of the word. Yep. I, of course, there. You know, when somebody is selfish to the point where they're hurting another person, then of course we can probably put a negative connotation on it. Yeah, that's not prosperity. But no. <laughs> true prosperity is uh, is a win-win for everybody. It's uh, all true prosperity is created on a value for value exchange. I want to be um, cognizant of your time and respectful. So I've got uh, one other, uh, a couple other questions to ask you real quick, and one is about diet because um, people would say, well, how does diet fit into that whole thing? But you're a big advocate on diet. Can you just touch on that? I will tell you there is no prosperity if you don't have health. It's just when you're sick and have no energy, I mean, there's just so little joy in life when you're not healthy. So... Mm-hmm. You know, I listen, I love Pizza Hut and Dr. Pepper as much as the next guy, but I've just learned that if I feed my body living food, if I want to be alive, if I feed my body, you know, feed your body dead food if you want to be dead. So raw fruits and vegetables and nuts, and the healthier you eat, the more energy you have, and the more energy you have, the more amazing things you can do. So it's that simple. Well, it seems to be working with you because I think you're one of the busiest guys I, I know. I am. I've been in, uh, I think, uh, I was in seven countries in eight days last week, and I'm getting on a plane tomorrow and heading to Sofia, Bulgaria. And, I mean, I was doing events in the morning and the evening and traveling and flying, And but, you know, I was feeling great. It was a, it's was. it been a great month, great year. Uh, but, yeah, I, I am conscious of my health because, uh, and you know with the crystal meth, I did crystal meth as well. I, you, nothing will suck the health and energy and vitality out of your body than something like that. Well, it and, starts out uh, really good because, you know, I uh, ended up self-medicating. I'm ADHD, I have ADHD issues, and I was self-medicating, I believe, and I was able to do twice as much for a very short time, and then after a while I started, I would spend three hours just cleaning my keys. And so I yes. was yeah, you, yeah, it starts off fine, you know, but, boy, <laughs> the the downside is, you know, I remember waking up, we call them Suicide Tuesdays, you know, and you'd wake up after a weekend of partying and just 
you know, I would plan for 10 minutes to sustain, you know, to, to, to get the energy to lift my head up and see what time it was. And, <laughs> you know, I, I don't ever want to go back there. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, let's, let's, the last question I have is to touch on social media because we just talked about the fact that you're a really busy guy and you're running around all the time and you're doing prosperity TV, you do the blog, you do Randy's rants, you, you write books, <clears throat> and you have, a, you have a life also. Um, recently I just saw you with a bunch of friends in Florida. Uh, you did a little uh, <clears throat> uh, video where you brought your friends uh, on, um, like Bob Berg and everything. Yeah. So you're, you're out there doing all this stuff. And everybody would have to say, there's two things they want to know, and that is, how do you do all that while you're doing everything that you do? Do you have a team behind you that does it? The other thing would be, how are you using social media to get it all done and get it all out there? Because I think you're, uh, at least in my eyes, and I think in a lot of people's, you are the guy who is, whether it be in your business or in social media, is the guy who's able to bring community together. You don't just write a blog. You have people uh, commenting on your blog and sharing your blog all day long. And that's really uh, that's, that's tough for a lot of people to get to that point. So, yeah, and I do use social media for that to connect with my tribe. And I adore social media. It's been wonderful for me. Uh, and I do all that myself. I don't have a staff. I don't believe in automating tweets or having people who author stuff and post it on Facebook or Twitter. If you see a tweet from me or a Facebook post from me, that's me. Uh, nobody writes that stuff but me, because that's my. That's you know, I just it's like a business. If your name's on the door, you got certain pride in the business, right. and you know my name is the most valuable resource I will ever have. My name and my reputation. So I don't farm that stuff out. Uh, and I and it's busy. It takes a lot of work, but. In terms of how it grows my business and connects with people and the relationships I've developed, um, the, the the payback has been extraordinary. So uh, I, I, you know, suggest that to anyone. It just it's it's one of those wonderful aspects in how we can harness technology to actually make our life better is social media. Right. Well, I guess the the underlying question is is balance because um, you're the one who turned me on to EAV. Empire Avenue, and mm-hmm. you wrote me a, a nice tweet saying, you know, don't let the tail wag the dog with this thing. It's a great, it's a great tool, but don't let the tail wag the dog. And I did it first, and now I've calmed down. But I would ask you, if you're doing it all yourself and you're doing so much, how do you balance and have still have a life and still play baseball or softball? Uh, I set boundaries. I don't. I don't like to set limits for myself, but I believe in boundaries. So when I'm down, uh, downtime is downtime. You know, Thursday night is softball night. Sunday is church in the morning, softball in the afternoon. When I work, I work hard, and when I play, I play hard, and I don't, you know, cross pollinate the two. And uh, so I set boundaries of when I work, and I'm very productive. I'm very organized, and again, health is a part of that. So I have the energy to do. I get, you know, and I'm very productive. I get more done than any 10 people I know. Um, <laughs> but that's because I have energy and I do work smart and I work productive. And I work with passion. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I'm a very successful entrepreneur, but I don't work a 40-hour week. I work a 70 or 80-hour week. But you know what? You can work a 70 or 80-hour week. That still leaves a lot of hours to have fun and sleep and relax and do other stuff too. Great. So, Randy, where can people get a hold of you? I know you have um, 
uh, a couple courses and a couple products out there that are, can help people uh, learn about how to be prosperous and how to get over their memes and all these things. Um, of course, they can pick up your book, Why You're Dumb, Sick, and Broke. But where can they get a hold of you and where can they find your stuff? All right, my site is randygage.com, and uh, I'm all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, YouTube is just forward slash Randy Gage. You've got a lot of videos on there. You could watch one every day for a couple of months if you want to really uh, reprogram yourself in a positive way. And, uh, you know, all the books are on Amazon or on my website. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, connect with me. I'm out there. Wonderful. And um, we're coming to the hour. We're about two minutes away. Um, I'd like to give, give you the chance to give a uh, parting thought. Believe in yourself. Invest in yourself. You know, if you don't invest in yourself, you're a pretty bad investment for anyone else. You've got to be the first one to invest in yourself, the first one to believe in yourself. And some of it you just got to do on faith. But just go out and start moving toward your dream because you really are worth it. You really do deserve it. And you really are meant to live a life of being healthy, happy, and prosperous. Wonderful. Thank you, Randy. This is J.W. Nigerian on Purpose Magazine with Randy Gage. Thank you so much, Randy. Thanks, J.W. Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.